0: Good morning. Our scripture reading today is from Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of, of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Uh, my name's Bill, and, uh, and I'm back. So I get to serve... <laughs> It is so good to be with my church family again. So, uh, if you're newer or this is you're a guest, this is your first Sunday. Uh, I I'm, I serve as the campus pastor here, but I've been on sabbatical uh, since July 3rd. So This is my first Sunday um, back since then, and so I've missed all of you so much. And uh, it's been great to greet each and every one of you. Um, and and if I haven't had a chance to say hi to you yet, I can't wait to to do that this morning. Um, it is uh, it has been a, a good time of rest and refreshment, but I'm so glad to be back. And I just want to say thank you to you as a congregation for being the kind of place that loves your pastors so well and cares for them and supports them and, in, and invests in them by allowing us the opportunity uh, at these intervals to take a break and to take a rest. And our children's ministry pastor, Annalyn had the chance to do that earlier this year, so thank you so much uh, for that. And I especially want to say thank you um, to our Brookside pastoral team because every single person that I've talked to has said, we're so glad you're back. But we were everything was great while you were gone, and and that's exactly what you hope, uh, is that people miss you, but that everything was great. And so I just want to say thank you to Taylor Fair for kind of taking the leadership of the campus, uh, for Charla and Casey and Holly and Kate and Anna Lynn and Nicole and Dakota and D. Everyone on our staff team, as well as there are so many key volunteers who. You guys serve in amazing ways every Sunday, but that you stepped up in big ways, um, both while Anna Lynn was away and while I was away so that we could have these seasons of rest. So could you just thank our staff team for caring so well, yeah. They're an incredible, incredible team. They've been working really, really hard. So if you, I mean, if you see them today, thank them, encourage them, send them a text, write them a note, just let them know how much their care and leadership uh, for you has meant in this season. Well, on this 10th anniversary Sunday, I'm incredibly grateful for what God has done in and through the people of this church community. I actually have a picture here of the very first Sunday, so uh, this is an early Instagram uh, filter, I think, on that photo. But uh, yeah, me and, and Rachel there in the middle, and then that was Claire and Adam McClunn. So Claire was our very first pastoral resident at Brookside, and, and Jeanette Thomas, some of you know, uh, was on our, our broader pastoral team at that point. But that was, that was 10 years ago uh, when we first opened this campus, and that video was an incredible uh, kind of retelling of that story and what God has done here. Um, and so whether you've been here for 10 years, which some of you have, um, or maybe you've only been here for 10 minutes, Uh, we are so glad that you're here this morning. And we believe the fact that you are here, again, whether that's been for 10 years or just for the first time this morning, that that you being here this morning is not an accident. And that you celebrating with us today is a part of of God's goodness. So thank you for joining us. And now as we turn to this passage that we just heard read in Ephesians, uh, let me pray for us now. Living God, help us to so hear your holy word by the power of your Holy Spirit that we may truly understand and that understanding we may believe and believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your glory and honor in all that we do through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, the time away of sabbatical was marked by many unforgettable moments. Uh, Rachel and I, on one of our trips, we swam with dolphins. That's a thing that you can do. It's incredible. If you ever get the chance to do it, it, it definitely checks out. It is worth the money we paid to do that. Um, and of course, to make that experience truly unforgettable, you have to buy the photograph that they take of you, right? Uh, and so we, we did that. Uh, and Rachel, you know, you have to go to this monitor and pick out the picture that you want and they give you the, the digital file and all that. So Rachel was the one who picked the photos. And this is the picture that she, she picked for herself. Uh, Amazing, right? So she looks like this marine animal trainer. She looks incredible. Uh, This is the picture she purchased for me. Um, (laughs) I I look like a middle schooler at a dance uh, (laughs) with a dolphin as my date. Um, But you know, I paid $40 for that picture. Uh, So we're going to get some mileage out of that. Uh, You'll probably see it again on a Sunday in the future. Um, I'm going to get my money's worth out of that photo. Uh, but we, had, you know, we also, as a family, spent uh, six nights uh, camping together in Utah, uh, visiting national parks, um, and most of the time without any cell phone service. It was amazing. Um, it, was, it was a glorious time. Uh, we hiked. We, we played in the mud. Uh, we, as a family, we love camping. But I'm learning uh, that sleeping on the ground, even with really high-quality sleeping mats, is just not as easy for me now at 40 years old as it was 25 years, old, or years ago when I was a Boy Scout. Um, you, you wake up and your body sort of feels those aches of, of sleeping on the ground more than it used to. Because our, our, our bodies tell us when they are hurting, don't they? Uh, and, and our bodies impact the way that we experience reality. And if you're young or if your body is working well, uh, often we don't even think about our bodies. But some of you in this room, you know, if you have chronic pain or illness, uh, that we just can't take that for granted, right? Our bodies working well. And that's not just true of our physical bodies, as significant, as important as they are, but it's also true of who we are as the body of Christ, this crazy reality that we often forget, that we are actually Jesus' body as the local church throughout the world that we actually are the body of Jesus. And all the rest of us make up his, he, he's the head of the church, and all the rest of us, we make up his body, the various parts, and collectively, we are his body in the world. And that body is only truly healthy when it's unified. I suspect that most of us in our life, and again, this is probably true for you, whether you consider yourself a Christian or not, um, that we long for places where we can feel known and loved. We long for a caring family, a place to call home, a place where people's eyes light up when they see us. A place of joy. And and I'm just telling you, few things destroy joy more quickly than disunity. And when our physical bodies are disunified, we actually have a, a medical term for that. But that's, we call that an autoimmune disease, right? When, when our bodies can no longer, they, they can't tell the difference between their own healthy cells and, and, and foreign invading cells, and they start attacking itself. We call that an autoimmune disease, and when the body is kind of fighting against itself. The disunity within the body. And if you only take away one thing this morning from our service, I hope it's this, that only a unified church body is a healthy church body, that only a unified local church body is a healthy church body. And so this morning, uh, I want to actually kind of go at this from a negative way. At first, as we look at Ephesians 4, and I just want to basically describe three easy steps to destroy the unity of a church. So if you haven't already, I'd invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4 in your Bible. You can grab one of the Pew Bibles, you can pull it up on your phone, Um, but I'd love for you to look with me at Ephesians chapter 4. And again, if you're here this morning and you don't consider yourself a Christian, we're so glad that you're with us, that you're celebrating this day with us, and I hope that this talk this morning will give you a sense of what the church is supposed to be, as well as some of the ways that the church can lose its way. Okay, so the first step to destroying the unity of any church is to trade effort for apathy. To trade effort for apathy. And we see this in chapters, uh, in in chapter four, and particularly in the first three verses of the chapter. Now, in the letter to the Ephesians, which you all have been walking through and looking at closely, the first three chapters of the letter to the Ephesians is really all about Paul telling this local church in Ephesus who they are. Kind of the grammatical term for that. They're they're indicatives. They're they're statements of what is true. This church is who you are. And then there's this hinge at chapter 4, verse 1, which we are at this morning, where Paul sort of shifts in his letter now to saying, based church on who you are. This is how you are to live. So there's a lot more commands, imperatives, instructions in the second half this church is how we should live together. And so let me show you where I'm getting this idea of trading effort for apathy. What is true of church, of the church of all Christians, is that we are united in one body by the Holy Spirit. That is what's true of us. And if you've been with us in Ephesians, looking at this letter, you've seen how Paul has talked about over and over how, how Christ is is had this one new human, this new body of Jew and Gentile united together. So our unity is what is true. That's the indicative. But here's the thing. It takes a lot of effort to maintain that unity. Look with me beginning at verse 1. This is Ephesians chapter 4. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, and then look at verse 3, making every effort, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Because you see, in a sin-vandalized world, the the world in which we live, our default setting as people is mistrust, disunity, and therefore, all it takes for disunity to, to, to take hold in a church is just for us to, to stop trying. All it takes for disunity to take hold is just a lack of effort. And kids, you, you get this, right? It's like trying to keep your room clean. <laughs> right? Do you, you, as, when you try, you don't have to, to make every effort to not put your clothes away. You don't have to make every effort to, to leave the toys scattered around, right? You don't have to make every effort to not clean it up. Like, it gets messy and dirty and, and uh, disorganized all by itself. What takes a ton of effort is keeping it clean. It takes constant daily effort and attention. And the same thing is true with unity in a church. If you want this unity in your church body, simply stop putting in the effort required to maintain the unity, and, and effort isn't easy. Otherwise, it wouldn't be effort, right? It, it takes work, and, and sometimes we just don't want to do work. I think we all have a little bit of April Ludgate from Parks and Rec in us, right? Uh, I've got an image here, I think. Maybe not. Oh, man. Well, it was going to be a really funny image of April saying, I don't want to do things. Uh, I want to not do things, um, so, maybe that image will pop up at some point. You guys can all laugh and I won't know it's there. Um, <laughs> but when we trade effort for apathy, we invite disunity. When we trade effort for apathy, we invite disunity. And I, hang on, I don't want us to, to miss what Paul is saying here. Because our work is not to create the unity. That can only happen by the Holy Spirit uniting us to Jesus in this new body. So we don't make an effort to create the unity, but we do work. Paul calls us to make every effort to maintain that unity. So instead of apathy, we, as a church body, we we ought to make every effort. But I can hear you saying, okay, pastor, I hear you, but what does it actually mean to make every effort? Well, I'm I'm glad you asked. Uh, And here are a few ideas, just a, a few things that we can, we can work at together to help maintain the unity that we have. Uh, first of all, just be together. And that's why I love this service today, where it's one, uh, one service, our whole church family gathered together. But make every effort to be together, whether that's here on Sunday mornings or in a community group, Bible study, church for Monday class, a walking group. There's all kinds of places even just a coffee or a meal or a brunch with another family in our church. Be together. The more we are together as a church family, the harder it is for disunity to take hold. It's in relational vacuums that mistrust, that rumors, that misunderstanding, miscommunication happens. The more we're together, spending time with one another, the more we're able to be unified but being together, it takes effort. It doesn't just happen. You've got to set aside the time. You've got to make the appointment. You've got to set it all up. It takes effort, but it's worth it. Uh, another thing to make every effort as is to know others and be known by them. Because it's, it's not just enough to actually be together in the same space, but, but you have to be willing at some point to be known, to actually share some of your story. To be the kind of person who wants to hear someone else's story, to ask, How are you doing? And not just as a a greeting, but really, How are you doing? And for the other person to be willing to feel safe enough to say, Here, how I am really doing. To know and to be known. And friends, it's easier. It's easier to keep it light. It's easier just to make small talk. But make every effort to really know one another to risk being known. And then here's just one more idea this morning and how we can make every effort. Uh, make every effort to believe the best. Uh, recently I've been thinking about this concept. I don't know if you've heard of this. It's, it's a concept called Hanlon's Razor. You may have heard of Occam's Razor, these different kind of principles. Hanlon's Razor goes like this. Here's the, uh, I think I've got a quote of it. Hanlon's Razor is this. We should not attribute to malice that which is more easily explained by stupidity. Oh, man, if you, if you uh, work in any kind of an office, if you have kids, if you're married, if you have neighbors, basically if you're a human who interacts with other humans in any kind of way, this is so important. Right? We should not attribute to malice, <laughs> which is more easily explained by stupidity. And, and, you know, I think parents remember this one with your kids. Kids, remember this one with your parents. <laughs> so often we assume the worst of others when they hurt us or let us down, and that's natural, right? When someone hurts you or let, lets you down, our our natural impulses think, "Gosh, like they did that on purpose. They really meant to, to do this." But in those moments, pause. Make every effort to believe the best, to to fill that gap with trust rather than suspicion. So I just I wonder this morning, maybe reflect on this this week. Where is apathy set in for you? Where is it set in for us as a church community? Where do we need to grow in making every effort? So that's step one in destroying the unity of a church body. Just trade effort for apathy. The the second one is this, and that is to put second things first. To put second things first. In verses 1-3, through Paul here, he's explaining that you have this unity in Jesus. and make every effort to maintain that unity, in verses 4 through 6, he lays out, reminds them of the foundation on which that unity is built. And he lists out the truths, the the core things, the acts, the person to which we are united. Look at verse 4. It says, There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope, that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. These are first things, core things, give your life to things, even give your life up for things. That's what our unity is based on. But in the church body, it's all too easy to replace those first things with second things. So in practice, we end up with a verse that sounds something like this instead. That there is one preacher, and one worship style, and one approach to justice, and one denomination, and one translation, and one news outlet that is overall and through all. Now, now, don't misunderstand me. Does who you listen to teach the scriptures matter? Yes. Is music style and song selection significant? Of course. Does a wise approach to, to justice and denominational affiliation, does that matter? Of course, absolutely. Do translations of the Bible make it a difference or some uh, have different strengths and weaknesses? Uh, obviously. And, and should you be discerning where you get your news? Of course. Of course, the answer to all those things is yes. But too often, we end up functionally basing our unity on those secondary items And it only leads to disunity. Only realities as weighty and as wonderful as the body of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, baptism, faith, hope, the Lord of the gospel, only those things have enough gravitational power to draw those who would otherwise drift away from one another together. Only those first things have the power to do that by the way, I mean, Paul mentions here this idea of one baptism. And if you've never been baptized, if you're a follower of Jesus, you would say, he is my only hope in life and in death. And you're here this morning, you've never been baptized. I would love for you to consider doing that. And we're gonna have a baptism service on November 13th. So a little bit over a month away at our downtown campus, we're gonna gather as a whole church and baptize people from across our campus. It is a first thing in the Christian life. to to experience this physical, external sign of the spiritual reality that you actually are united to Jesus. So if you've never been baptized, if you've just recently put your faith in Jesus for the first time, I'd love to talk with you more about baptism. I'd love to have the opportunity to baptize you. Um, kids, if you're here in the service and you've never been baptized, and you're like, I think I want to learn more, talk to me or talk to Pastor Annalyn or Pastor Kate, one of the, our people downstairs, and, and tell them, I'd love to be baptized. Can you tell me more about that? Okay, so together, let's put first things first. And you might be wondering at this point, maybe you're newer even to Christ's community, what, is, what are those first things for Christ's community? What do we hold tightly to as those first things, those core things? How do we understand those? And one place to look at that is, is our statement of faith as a church. And you can find that on our website. You can go to EFCA.org, which is our, our denominational website, and you can read all about it there. And in fact, this is everything really cool for me to share with you. But recently, Pastor Taylor and Pastor Dakota both uh, got licensed as um, ministers within the EFCA, that's our denomination. Uh, and they actually had to write like a 20-page paper on that statement of faith, and then they defended it before a panel of uh, different people who asked questions about their beliefs, and they, they passed that, and they did it really, really well. So one, let's congratulate them. Can we, it? yeah. It's a huge deal. Two, uh, if you have questions about our statement of faith, you can talk to Pastor Taylor, or Pastor Dakota. They're really fresh in all this stuff. <laughs> So if you see them later on, uh, congratulate them, and then you can ask them all your hard questions, okay? Um, But that's a great place to find what are some of those things that, that we as a church hold dear, kind of in that first things category. But here's the thing we have to keep in mind. Keeping first things first is not just about right ideas. It's also about having right affections, desires, wants, and posture toward one another. Because if you think that you are keeping first things first, but you're not treating one another with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, then something's not right. And first things have slipped. So again, I just wonder this week, if we reflect together, we wonder about where have second things eclipsed first things for you, for us? And we need to ask that question regularly because second things are never content. They always want to try to become first things. Just part of who they are as second things. And, and so again, if we are not careful, as important as second things are, they, are just, they want to rise to that place of first things. We have to always be vigilant in keeping those things that are most important, most important. Okay. So we've seen the first two steps if you want to destroy church unity, you, you trade intentional effort for apathy. You, you allow second things to become first things. And then third, you just put the focus on anything but Jesus. If you want to destroy the unity of a church, just put the focus on anything, good things, great things, but anything other than Jesus. Because you see, the church is Jesus' body. It's His people he is the head the beginning and the end the alpha and the omega and if jesus isn't raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of the father then we should all be doing something else with our time and energy but it is so easy to put our focus on anything other than jesus it you know honestly it is so easy for me as a pastor to preach what uh, one seminary professor has called synagogue sermons meaning a sermon that you could preach in a synagogue and people would be happy with because the hero and answer to everything in that sermon is not Jesus. It's really easy as a pastor to do that, to get up and tell people what they, you think they should be doing, and you don't make Jesus the hero and the answer. It's so easy to make a church attendance or, or church programs the focus, but whenever we functionally make something other than Jesus, the focus of the local church, disunity is going to be the result. Because we're going to have different ideas about what should be the focus. And Paul, though, he does not miss this. And he wants us to see this. And I'm going to read out to you a few verses here, starting in verse 11. I just want you to hear the Jesus-saturated nature of these verses. So listen to here, beginning in verse 1. And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, and listen to this, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach the unity of the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a maturity with the stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then at that point, we'll no longer be little children tossed by the waves, blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning, with cleverness and techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow every way into him who is the head? Christ. For Paul, the focus is always on Jesus, and he wants these Ephesians Christians 2,000 years ago to be as enamored and arrested with the marvel and beauty and glory and power and joy of Jesus as he is. And the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul's words, wants the same for us this morning, So the key here is to make Jesus the measure of our maturity, Jesus the measure of our success as a church. One definition of failure is that failure is succeeding at the wrong things or at things that don't matter. That's a big danger for churches, for any organization, but that we would succeed at things that ultimately don't matter. That's just another form of failure. And again, sometimes we tend to live out a verse that actually goes like this that we are going to work hard until we reach financial security and the fullness of romantic relationship measured by the stature of our careers and the success of our children. And here's the thing, I often functionally believe that more than I believe the, tr- the, the truth of Ephesians 4.13. Jesus, in all of his fullness, is true humanity. And we are being remade into his image. He is the goal. He is the measure. And here's what I want you to know this morning, is that Jesus is everything that you long for. He's everything that you long to be. And Jesus' goal, and he will not fail in accomplishing this goal, is to make you like himself. To be a person of wisdom and peace and joy and strength and tenderness and creativity and love that you long to be. And that transformation comes not merely from information, but from a relationship with Jesus. Do you see what Paul says there in these verses? That this comes in the knowledge of God's Son, and that knowledge is not primarily cognitive, but it's a relational knowledge, a relational knowing. It's not primarily cognitive, but effective. What what do we love? It has much more to do with our desires, our wills, our loves than it does with facts that we can repeat. And friends, that knowledge is unifying. Knowing Jesus unifies his body. And as I've worked with other pastors and followers of Jesus across our city, across the country, even on other continents, the unity that we have is not rooted in culture or language or even necessarily shared life experience, but in the shared knowledge of the Son of God. Now, all of this may seem like a lot, making every effort, putting first things first, keeping the focus on Jesus. And if it seems like it's a lot, it's because it is. It's a lot. It takes effort. It takes work. But remember, Jesus is the hero. He came from heaven to earth so that you could become an us, So that each of us as individuals become an us, a new people of God in his family, adopted into his body. And here's the thing. This is so much to be this body, this family together. It's a lot. But Jesus has gifted you. He has gifted you for this. Uh, Listen to this. Listen to what Paul writes in verse 7. Now grace was given to each one, not to some, not to most, but to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says when he ascended on high, he took the captives' captives, he gave gifts to people. But what does it mean that he ascended except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? He came from heaven to earth. The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens to fill all things. Here's the, here's the deal. Jesus has given you gifts. Do you believe that, church? That in Jesus you've been given exactly what is needed for this moment to build up this local church body in love and maturity. I mean, not all by yourself, of course, but all of you together, all of you together are not just wanted here. Let me just tell you, you are wanted here. We want you here. But you're not just one here, you're needed here because Jesus has given you gifts that only you can bring to make this body all that it is needs to be for this moment for this season. You are not here by accident. It's amazing. The last 10 years of this little church family in Brookside, part of this bigger church family of Christ's community across our city, has been marked by incredible unity. And unity doesn't mean an absence of conflict or disagreement. Families disagree. Conflict is healthy. But unity means a constant return to all humility and gentleness, a return to patience, a bearing with one another in love. And brothers and sisters, may this continue to be true of us for the next ten years and beyond. Because only a unified church body is a healthy church body. So let's make every effort to put first things first, to make Jesus the focus of all that we do. And, and that's my prayer for us this morning. And Let me pray for us now. Father in heaven, would you do what your word has promised you will do? What you have done for Christians for thousands of years across continents and languages and cultures, would you continue to do in Kansas City, in this little chapter of Christ's community, and in the broader church in Kansas City, would you make us united? That we would be able to proclaim the praises of the one who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We pray this by the Holy Spirit in the name of our King and our head, Jesus. Amen.